Welcome to the Relaunch Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Leah Lambert, career and interview coach and founder of Relaunch Me, where we help you find the work that you were meant to do. Well, today on the podcast, I am talking to Edward Michaelsberg. Uh, Ed is a senior recruiter who has 20 years experience in accounting and finance recruitment and is the recruitment partner or one of the recruitment partners at EMU Search. I've asked Ed on the podcast today to answer some questions for some listeners and for some clients of ours about how to work with recruiters best. So welcome to the podcast, Ed. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for inviting me along. Well, look, it is great to have you. And if you have listened to my podcast before, you know that I would always like to hear a little bit about your career journey. Uh, So can you start off by giving us a bit of background on how you uh, came to work at EMU? Yeah, absolutely. I've I've worked, as you said, in the recruitment industry for a touch over 20 years. And uh, like you, I also started my career as an accountant. Um, I'd actually joined Ernst & Young in England, but it was very short-lived. So after a brief foray in auditing, I then joined a, a recruitment company in, in the UK. And it was back in 2001 that I came to Australia. So when I got here, I kind of found my feet with one of the big global brands, but I'd always had the aspiration to start my own business. Um, that happened back in 2007 when uh, Dom and I started Venator. Uh, that was a, a specialist finance and accounting recruitment business. And uh, now we have Emu. So that came to life back in early 2019. Um, at the time, Dom and I, we were pretty content with Venator. You know, we're great friends and always work, enjoyed working together. And we'd built an established brand, great reputation in the market. But, you know, we, we were kind of on the same page thinking that after 12 years of doing that, something fresh would be a positive thing. And we didn't know exactly what that might look like or when it might happen. So it was really fortuitous that at that time, Dom and I were having those conversations that uh, Luke Marshall was looking to set up a new recruitment business and Zenko Effiong, he was looking to move back into agency recruitment. He'd spent a number of years managing in-house talent acquisition teams. So yeah, we just got together, had a number of very productive conversations, and we quickly recognized that our goals and our values were all in sync. So we made the decision to join forces and just to be able to broaden our service offering to our collective client base just made it a no-brainer, especially given the convergence of finance, tech, and digital, which is where we now play. And I believe you're coming up to your first anniversary, is that correct? We are, yes. Um, well, we started the business in full fashion. It was uh, 1st of July. Um, timing's been an interesting thing for us because while it's sort of been well-timed that EMU started, 18 months after starting Venator, we were hit by the GFC and now nine months into EMU, we're in the midst of an even bigger crisis. But uh, we came through the GFC all right. So we've learned a few lessons on the way. Hopefully we'll get through COVID and, and work well beyond. As an ex-recruiter myself, I do find I am defending recruiters often because I guess candidates feel that um, recruiters sometimes are a little bit narrow-minded when they're selecting candidates or shortlisting. I guess I'm interested in getting your insight into 
how much input you have into the job brief and what happens if you don't actually stick to the brief that's been given to you by the client? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, there's a bit of ground to cover there. So let me start with the first part of your question. So we do have a certain degree of input to the job brief, some occasions more than others. But just to provide a bit of context here, I'll give you my interpretation of a job brief because I think that covers a few different areas. So firstly, I need to understand the PD, the position description, in terms of general responsibilities, critical outputs of the role and objectives, as well as whatever challenges and opportunities must be addressed in the first six to 12 months. But, you know, we'll then discuss the client's broader selection criteria and that covers areas such as the kind of experience the person has professional qualifications like a CA or an MBA you know they might have a potential preference for people who've got an early career background in professional services or management consulting firms often they look for people who've got experience in particular industry sectors or you know certain sizes and types of companies it could be private equity ASX listed, startup, multinational. And the clients will determine this kind of mandatory set of competencies, competencies and capabilities. And you know, examples of that could be the technical expertise. So for me in accounting and finance, they could be looking for somebody who's got really deep specialization within external reporting or strategic planning and analysis or business partnering. But, you know, other competencies could include leadership and influencing skills and, you know, how people communicate and present. And, you know, I think the final part that we explore in that job brief is the culture fit and the kind of behaviors they're looking for. So things that come to mind there might be people who embrace diversity and inclusion or have a collaborative approach and uh, able to maybe challenge and push back respectfully when needed. So those are the broad areas where I think we have some degree of input to a job brief, where we can consult, we can challenge our clients, we can maybe provide some suggestions, and at times we can change their thinking. But generally speaking, the client will come to us because they've got a very particular recruitment need and they already have an image in mind of the person they want. So they tell us what they want. We tell them if they can get it. And sometimes they might have unrealistic expectations. Mostly it's fairly straightforward. But, you know, when we discuss that recruitment brief, our clients really do value our input. It, it kind of creates a healthy debate. It makes for better outcomes. And they want to hear our insights on the market. So they don't mind being challenged on the brief. And it's really through that discussion where we both kind of land on, well, all right, what is the agreed profile of person who, A, you can attract, and B, who will really excel in the role? So at times you may meet someone who's a little bit um, outside the brief, but I guess it, you know, it also depends on your relationship with the client and whether they trust you to throw that person into the mix, even if they don't meet all the criteria. Yeah, and look, that's the second part of your question. You know, if we, if we don't stick to the brief and then if we deliver a shortlist of candidates who do not match those agreed selection criteria, we've stuffed up. It, it's quite simple. We lose that client. Um, yeah, there'd be reputational damage and we wouldn't be in business for very long. So there are times where it's difficult to meet the brief and we just have to manage expectations. And, 
you know, sometimes there are candidates who might be a bit of a curveball, but generally speaking, you know, we're tasked to find a person that we believe we can deliver. And if we don't deliver it, we've stuffed up. I've got another question, Ed, and this is around qualifications. I know that a lot of your clients are probably more corporate, so um, I expect that qualifications, particularly in accounting, you know, degree plus CPA, CA qualifications is usually mandatory. Occasionally I work with clients who I guess for um, they're almost self-taught. So they may have, for instance, uh, grown up working in a family business that's quite large and, you know, I've worked with clients who are, you know, doing a financial controller role but often don't have a degree, let alone CPA qualification. Do you find that, you know, people in that situation, it can be quite limiting in terms of their opportunities or would some clients overlook the need for qualifications if they had the right experience? I think when when an organisation engages a recruiter, they recognise they're going to pay a fee. The minute they're going to pay a fee, I think their expectations of what they want goes through the roof. So they would then have a laundry list and you know, professional qualifications is very high up that list. Maybe when they're not working with a recruiter and it's their own network and it's somebody who's referred that's done a good job for a, an ex-colleague, then they might be a little bit more open-minded. But most of the clients that we work with they really do see the value of having that professional qualification. Every kind of level of qualified accounting, control, finance manager. Um, but look, it, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all, and some organisations will hire people based on experience rather than just having the qualification. But uh, yeah, it, it can close a lot of doors. Another, um, I guess, complaint that I that comes up a lot when I talk to people about their relationships with recruiters is that recruiters may not keep in contact with them. So they may um, have, you know, a great conversation or a, you know, phone screening or a coffee even with a recruiter, but then they don't hear from them again. Uh, so look, you know, again, as an ex-recruiter myself, I know that, you know, usually you, you would love to keep in touch with most of your candidates, but you're focused on working on those job briefs and if those people don't fit in those briefs then it's you know it is difficult to maintain that contact do you believe it is the recruiter or the candidate's responsibility to stay in contact yeah it's an interesting topic I think it's great that you can see this from a recruiter's perspective and share your thoughts with your clients and I agree a hundred percent with what you say about how hard it is to keep in regular contact with every candidate. There's just not enough time to do so. I think the important thing here, and I touched on this before, is it's about managing expectations around frequency of contact. So I wouldn't say it's neither the recruiter or the candidate's responsibility, but the shared responsibility. So I take a responsibility to be clear on how and when I'll communicate moving forwards. And and that's a personal preference. Um, If a recruiter does that clearly, then the candidate should not have a different expectation. And look, some recruiters like to call candidates very regularly. Maybe they've just got a great relationship, even if it's to say hello. But some recruiters have KPIs. You know, they have to make a certain number of candidate calls each week. And that can often lead to quite meaningless conversations. Personally, I'll contact a candidate 
when I have something of value to discuss. And, you know, that could be discussing a career opportunity or just sharing a, a relevant market insight that I think they'll find useful. Might even be flagging a position that I've seen advertised by an employer where I know I can't make the actual introduction. But in terms of how the candidate manages and regulates contact with the recruiter, you know, that's equally their preference. And I think they need to set the expectation and make sure that everybody's on the same page. Further to that, there is a fine line, Ed, between staying in contact and becoming a serial pest. <laughs> how much is too much contact? And, and how do you prefer candidates to follow up and keep in touch? Yeah, I think there are probably pests on both sides of the fence here. <laughs> um, in terms of how much contact there is, I think it depends on the situation. You know, if, if it's a candidate who I'm engaging with through a search process, then it wouldn't be unusual for us to be in daily or weekly contact for quite a period of time. But if it's a more passive job seeker, then I'm only going to contact them when I actually have a suitable role to talk about. And that way, it could be months between having any form of contact. If I can't help somebody immediately, you know, it's nice when people ask me how frequently they'd like to hear from them, which is great. So, look, if someone calls me too frequently and they're doing it with no real purpose, I'll just suggest maybe reaching out once a month instead or when things change. But, you know, in terms of the forms of communication that you talk about, be it email or phone call or LinkedIn, I think that depends on the context of what they want to discuss. Okay, great. Uh, Ed, in regards to LinkedIn, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. So we work with our clients um, very closely to help them keyword optimise their LinkedIn profiles to improve their chances of being found by recruiters or potential hiring managers. How important is it for candidates to have a LinkedIn profile in the current market? And are you able to explain how recruiters use LinkedIn in the back end to find candidates? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I think it's incredibly important to have a LinkedIn profile in any market, you know, irrespective of whether or not somebody's looking for a position. Anybody who's career focused should spend a great deal of effort making sure they've got a good LinkedIn profile. I'm happy to give you a plug here, Leah, because I know that you and the team at Relaunch Me do a phenomenal job with that. Um, all of the people that we've actually referred to you, you know, they've now got seriously good-looking CVs and LinkedIn profiles, and they feel really confident with how that represents them professionally. So, look, yeah, it's an absolute no-brainer. You need a good LinkedIn profile. Um, in terms of how I use it, I think like many recruiters, we have a, a different product. It's called LinkedIn Recruiter, very different to the kind of LinkedIn product that job seekers would use. And that tool gives us access to every LinkedIn profile globally, and it allows us to search for people using very specific criteria. It could be job titles, locations, companies they've worked at particular skills they put down, industries that they've worked in. We can look at years of experience. We can go into education and do certain keyword searches. So, you know, when I'm looking for a candidate, I can utilize all of that capability to very quickly find people who meet certain selection criteria. So it's obviously easier if they've spent the time to keyword optimize their profile. Mm. You know, I, I might run a search and I could get 700 results who match 
my selection criteria, but I guarantee I'm not going to contact all of them. So a lot of people clearly need to optimize their profiles. But the way that I would typically work, you know, I'll go through the results, I'll select the most relevant profiles, I'll, I'll look at everybody's profile in quite detail. And, you know, I'll reach out with a LinkedIn email, usually getting in touch with maybe 20 to 50 people from a pool of maybe 300 or 400. Okay. And so do you prefer to actually contact and reach out using LinkedIn in mail as opposed to if they had, say, a, if, you, if they had a mobile or a email address on their, in their about section or in their contact details, would, would you pick up the phone and call them or would you normally make the approach through, uh, through LinkedIn? If it's somebody that I, I already know of that appears through that search result, I'll call them. I'll have the details. There'll be some existing relationship. If it's somebody who I've never had contact with before and I, I don't have the mobile, definitely I'll send them a LinkedIn email. I actually like to send an initial email through LinkedIn just to provide some high-level information on the search assignment, my client, what we're looking for, what appealed to me about their profile. And, and that's tailored to everybody. So it, it's not really just, you know, putting out a, a, an email blanket. But, um, you know, I tend to get a pretty good response. And, and then the next phase of dialogue is usually over the telephone. So once they've reviewed the information, they're then happy to pick up the phone and give me a call and we can have a conversation about it. But yeah, look, if I have their mobile number and there's some connection there, I will absolutely call instead of just sending that email. Is it important that someone has a really well-written about section, you know, where you can really get a good sense of what they can offer and what skills that they have, or is it not so important? Yeah, look, I think if they don't have an about section, they're missing a trick. Um, that's where you can really keyword optimize the profile and be found. Um, on the flip side, if you go all out and you try and be too creative, you do run the risk of seeming a little playful or maybe arrogant. But um, it's, for me, it's not all about the about section. Um, you know, when I look at a, a LinkedIn profile, I think the key things I look for, well, the first thing I notice is the, the picture. You know, a professional profile picture always makes for a good first impression. But I tend to focus more on the career history. And it's seeing the companies that people have worked at, seeing the job titles that they've held, and I really must stress the importance of job titles here so people will get found in those searches. And you can have profile headlines as well, but you know, if you, if you just simply put your job title down as being an influencer or a thought leader or some kind of digital warrior, that, that is not going to land you on page one of a CFO search. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, and I, I, when I see that profile, I, I like to see a bit of detail in the positions that they've held, but high level, you know, core responsibilities, some selected achievements, not a full-blown CV. Um, I think recommendations are great. That's a real point of difference. You know, if I can read a few glowing recommendations by former managers or colleagues or other business stakeholders who are happy to go on record and back up the content in their profile, then that really stands out. Mm. Um, You're right, though. The uh, the LinkedIn headline, I feel, you know, this, I see people, you know, really waste that opportunity. For instance, you know, it might be someone who has their own business and they might be a graphic designer or an interior designer, but they give themselves the title owner 
or, you know, LinkedIn director or owner, and no one, then they're going to miss out on searches Absolutely. that people might do uh, for a designer. So, you know, it is, I, I do see that people waste, I guess, the opportunity to be found more often. Yeah, I know. I agree 100%. Uh, are there any other things that turn you off someone when you look at a LinkedIn profile? Um, look, at an unprofessional photo can be quite off-putting. It's not a deal breaker. Um, I think uh, you know the, the wearing sunnies is probably not the best of looks, and I've yeah. got a, I've got a, f- a friend of mine who actually has a pair of sunnies, and I'll send him your way after this. Um, <laughs> it's not about the number of connections. I think really it's more about the quality of connections rather than the quantity. Um, look, I think you know if somebody has gotten about summary and that's poorly written, then it's really concerning. You know, that's that's probably going to put me off the most. If they can't demonstrate good written communication skills, grammar, sentence structure, spelling, now all of that is critical. So that would be very off-putting. And, Ed, obviously uh, COVID-19 has had a huge effect on our economy and the job market. From your experience, you know, how has it affected the accounting and finance area? Yeah, look, it's taken a hit. We're down. I think any recruiter that you speak to will um, put the hand up. A lot of companies have gone into hiring freeze. It's more those mission critical roles that are still going ahead. Um, you know, anecdotally, the the recruitment owners that I've spoken to, um, they're all saying they're probably operating at twenty percent of normal capacity. Um, and unemployment's going to hit nine or ten percent. So you know we're we're feeling it, but we're certainly seeing some work. Um, you know, one of my business partners yesterday evening just came to me. One of his clients needs a, a GM finance, which is phenomenal. You know, in a market like this, to have a great brand ask us to help them find that kind of person is fantastic. But the volumes have certainly tipped off. Mm. And so, obviously, the you know the job market is going to be more competitive competitive than ever. Um, yeah. And what would be your advice to candidates to you know what do they need to do to stand out from the competition going forward? Yeah, look, I think it's all the things that shameless plug here for you again, but it's all the things that you and the team at Relaunch Me can help people with. So you've got to have a well-crafted LinkedIn profile. Um, I think you've also got to be beware of the content that you post on other social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram. Hiring managers often look at that. Um, but you, you, know, you need the quality LinkedIn pro- profile. You need a quality CV. It's not just about the content, but it's the look and the feel of that CV. Mm. It has to be well-written. It has to be clearly formatted. It's got to get you get across your skills and experience and accomplishments in a very succinct way. And, you know, like I've seen a few before and after versions from the people who have referred to you and the difference is astounding. And the feedback that I actually get, um, I see that people have more confidence going to market with a good CV behind them. So you, you can't change your experience, but the way you present it can make a real difference. Mm, and look, I totally agree. The confidence is a huge thing that I notice after people do invest in perhaps some resume or LinkedIn writing. The other thing that I think, Ed, um, is 
actually going through the process of working with a writer to rewrite your resume in your LinkedIn, it is actually, it, it sort of warms you up for when you get out there and start interviewing because you've already started thinking uh, deeply about your strengths, your transferable skills, your achievements. So a lot of that work has already been done before you actually get to the interview. And I find that that makes a big difference as well. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, that's probably the final thing that's worth mentioning, which is interview coaching. Your LinkedIn profile and CV can get you the seat at the table, but then you've got to bring it to life. And that's to be done at the interview. And it's a whole new game. And look, there's a lot to go into there. Maybe that's something you can do a session on one with one of our other partners. But I think there are so many good people that have got a great CV. They've got great experience. And they fall over at that last hurdle because they don't get it across as effectively at the interview table. Obviously, it helps when they go through that with you, but until you've actually been through an interview a few times and know how to approach it, um, it's like everything. Practice, practice, you get better. I do have a final question, Ed, on re- in regard to the interview coaching, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I know when I worked in recruitment, often the first interview with a recruiter was more of a preference interview. So, you know, what sort of role are you looking for? What sort of industries? Do you want to work for a small company? Do you want to work for a large company? What sort of team? How many people? So it was more just preferences. Um, And obviously our focus at Relaunch Me is coaching people for behavioural interview questions, which is, you know, tell us about a time when you use your influencing skills. And in the past, you know, when I worked in recruitment, that was done more at the client level. Mm -hmm. As a recruiter or a recruitment company, are you asking behavioural questions in that first interview when you assess or screen candidates? Depends on the situation. If, for example, it's somebody who's been referred to me, I have nothing for them at the moment, it will be a meet and greet preference interview. What are you looking Mm -hmm. for? Give me a brief. When something lands, we'll have a chat. If it's a search that I'm running, then I'll have spent a great deal of time going through that job brief, understanding what are the behaviors that my client's looking for. So then when I interview candidates for that particular role, I have to ask those questions because I need to hear their responses and see if that matches there. If I'm not doing that, I'll run the risk of putting the wrong people in front of my client. If I do Mm -hmm. that and and they respond well, then I'll be confident in putting them on the shortlist. So um, absolutely we do that, but we do that when we're actually interviewing more for a search-related assignment rather than for just a general meet and greet. I know you're looking, we've got nothing, but tell us what you want and then we'll we'll be in touch. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, look, Ed, I think I've run out of questions for today, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to chat and I've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners have as well um, some more insights into how recruiters work and how best to work with you so you don't get annoyed with us. (laughs) Thanks, Leah. Really enjoyed speaking with you today, so I do hope your listeners find it useful. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Relaunch Your Career. If you did, please subscribe, share with your friends, leave a review or connect with us on social media at Relaunch Me Career Consulting. If you have any questions about the episode or the work that we do, then contact us via the website relaunchme.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.